0: Stage first shooting, Skimmer Wayne near Lakeland, Charles 478 Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now, the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson.
1: Well, it's here. Once again, it's time for Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Ceballero. And with me always is the handsome, yes, I said it, the handsome Kelly Grayson.
0: you forgot charming and no, witty.
1: No, uh, no, this is just the handsome week. I'm going to take I'll, handsome away if you're going to get greedy. You see, give you right, a rope. You know, right. you want to be a cowboy. You know, you got to stop. I'll
0: go with I'll go with handsome, uh, um, rakishly handsome. Yeah, that, that's okay, me. Again,
1: now you're adding to it. I'm taking handsome <laughs> off the table. So, how was your Thanksgiving? Good Thanksgiving down there in uh, it, world famous Pitkin, Louisiana.
0: Um. Yeah my uh, my hot dogs were delicious. Um.
1: Did you have to work?
0: I was. No, i was off work but uh nancy was uh visiting relatives and uh visiting yes. her, her kids in uh, connect so i was on my own i was batching it and uh um i had ordered a uh a, a pre-made thanksgiving dinner and uh when i when i drove back from texas i just decided i'm not going to spend 70 bucks just to feed myself so uh i, I made myself some hot dogs and i vegged out and watched television and football games
1: Were well, they at least turkey hot dogs let's go ahead and get there. I mean, could you have at least gone to tech? No? Okay, I don't even want to talk about it then. So, you know, (laughs) Kelly, let's go ahead and we'll jump into this week's topic. You know, last week, I think we did a good show. You know, we got some good feedback and we talked about the 400-page report that came out from the Surgeon General and, you know, talked about the opiate epidemic and, you know, we kind of went on with uh, where we are with that in in our career field and how we need to, you know, kind of start dealing with that. Well, Subsequently, uh, one of our friends and colleagues at EMS1 wrote an article that I thought was very, mm-hmm. very interesting that uh, probably needs to be discussed because after I read it, I didn't even consider the impact of it. But before uh, we get into that, let's go ahead and bring our guest in here, EMS1 editorial advisor and columnist, Art Sia. Art, thanks for joining us on Inside EMS.
2: Hey, Chris. Hey, Kelly. Welcome How's to the gone? show, brother. Thank it's, you man. It's awesome that you're here, nice you know, here. And,
1: and I was kind of talking just before we we got started with you art and just uh, to let Kelly here and to bring the audience up to date. You know, Kelly and I have talked over the past couple of weeks that you know, we're in the, in the 130s in our show, and we'll be at our three-year anniversary come April. And But the, the crux of the show really came about where Kelly Grayson and I and Art Sia actually were sitting mm-hmm. at the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri in uh, yep. uh, kind of a lodge in front of a fireplace. No fire, though. And, and we talked about the concept of this show. And Art, can you believe it? 130-some-odd shows later, and uh, uh,
2: you're here joining us. I just think that you guys contribute to the global warming effect, and I think that's pretty damn awesome. Well, that's awesome to hear. With so, all
0: the, all the methane we produce, or the hot air, <laughs> so it's, like, it's probably a little bit of both, uh, man. Well, let, let, let's
2: let's just talk about the northern exposure, not the southern one. And so I think it's, just-
0: it's all that
1: all that hot dog you're having. So that's the problem. But uh, so, our, no, I mean, but in
2: all in all seriousness, I think it's been great. I think. This is a this is a, a, a yet another way of getting some great information out there and I think it's really important for our audience that's often on the road and, and traveling and sometimes the easiest way is to just listen in and I think that's really great. So congrats.
1: Thank you so much, and it's an honor to have you here. And I'm a fan of your work, and you know you always put out some great articles. And we're here to talk about one of them because, you know, as we as we now start to think about this this opioid epidemic, and really, how do we now start to wrap our arms around it from a from a or really a, a medical side, not really from an EMS side, but from a healthcare side? Um, you know, one of the things that's come out of the the states uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia is this new carfentanil, which is the uh, you know the animal tranquilizer. It's kind of the the new heroin mixed with heroin, and it's really causing a lot of challenges. and And this specific synthetic drug is ten thousand times more potent than morphine, and uh, uh, you know it's just really crazy. But you wrote an article that really kind of went into the the safety tips of of being on scene with this medication or with this opioid and it really kind of opened our eyes to say, is this really a substance that's going to cause a hazard, hazardous scene? And according to your article, it looks like it did. How, did. how did you come across this information?
2: Yeah, so, you know, one of my one of my roles as an editorial advisor is um, I'm watching the news on a semi-regular basis, pretty much every day, scanning through different materials, and also as an educator, it's the same thing, and so over the years, I've noticed trends as they start to appear, just in the mainstream media, just the stories that start to pop up, and car fentanyl. And fentanyl laced heroin. Fentanyl laced heroin probably started making its rounds about three years ago, um, and it was sort of very uh, intermittent and it was spread across the country. And uh, and it wasn't it, not that people were not putting two and two together. I think like the DEA and uh, and the uh, NIH have both have understood that there's been major problems associated with it. But the car fentanyl. Addition, the additive for that and its impact on public safety providers, that's started to pop up about a year ago. Um, first with law enforcement in the in sort of their normal daily duties of investigation, and then in the last, I think in the last six to eight months, we've seen some reports of firefighters um, succumbing to the effects of uh, aer- aerosolized. They believe it was aerosolized um, car fentanyl. And um, and I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, EMS folks and uh, get involved with it as well. Just uh, just because we're we're not thinking about it as a as a as a hazardous material. And that's and that's sort of what triggered inside my head. is like, you know what, we should probably rephrase this. This is a hazmat. It's a hazmat situation because I think that we're all trained to understand that, whoa, if it's hazmat, we're going to stop and we're going to think about what our situation is and what our scene is. So I think that at the end of the day, that's where things are, uh, and so that's why I decided to write the article. Gosh, I mean, and and you know, one of the other
1: things I guess, you know, you talk about the potency of it, but then you talk about the, you know, that it's being cut with, you know, between cornstarch yeah. to rat poison. Does would that increase that poison as well, and that you know, make it airborne as well? That uh, as we whether we were breathing that or. Uh, absorbing? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think, yeah, I think that any of that can get aerosolized. I think that you can get stuff into the atmosphere relatively easily. The, The thing about things like, you know, rat poison or any of the other stuff is that it has little or no effect if you get it absorbed. And that's probably the difference. We probably had been dealing with it um, but it's in such low doses that, um, it's not even, uh, it's going to be subclinical effects at the most and, and probably nothing at all. But if you're thinking of, you know, I think that, um, what I'm starting to read and what I'm starting to understand is if you're, if you're thinking that you're safe because you have gloves on, right. that might be an underestimation of the situation. Um, when, when you have something with a potential for that drug is in place and because we don't know, we, it doesn't, it, to me, it totally smacks of a hazmat. Like you don't know, you just don't know what's there. So sure. what do you do? You always assume that it's the worst. Yeah. And so I, I think that in a lot of places right now where they're treating a lot of heroin overdoses, there's that, the laissez faire thing just is very common. Oh, you know, pinpoint people's not breathing well. I'll give them some Narcan. He'll wake up. Things will be fine. And not really thinking about okay. In addition to all that, right. I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to pick up that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to move stuff around. You know, maybe what I want to do is actually carefully remove the patient from the scene before I start treatment.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think that one of know, the other things too that's gonna that's gonna buffalo us here is that. The, the, the total disregard, really, for those situations. I mean, you know, we see those bumper stickers that say, I just Narcanned your honor student. In EMS, it seems that we have such a, uh, yeah. I, I love your term, liaison faire fair attitude, even when it comes to dealing with, you know, people that have uh, overdosed, that th- this this tunnel vision may walk us right into a, you know, a potential uh, uh, hazardous scene. And I think we've got to really change our mindset there.
2: I I, I agree. I think that we do... So, one of the things about the registry, um, you know, the, the changes in registry is implanting ha- uh, safety considerations in, you know, in all of their future testing. So, that out-of-hospital scenario that um, is replacing a lot of the skills in the starting in January, um, that has built in at least one safety hazard um, that the student has to pick up and mitigate before they can move on um and uh, if you don't mitigate it you fail the exam
0: you know you know art speaking of hazmat you know i the, i read the article uh the news story on the 18th about the uh, winnipeg firefighter medic uh who was given narcan after fentanyl exposure um and, and you know i gotta gotta be truthful i i it didn't pass the smell test for me <laughs> i said you know how are you? How was he exposed to fentanyl on a call? Um, and uh, supposedly, his, his uh, coworkers gave him uh, naloxone after he started suffering from respiratory distress, and, and he uh, he um, recovered just fine. He's back at work. Um, and then uh, I, I get the notice on on your article where um, where you know car fentanyl exposure uh, can can happen through the skin. It can be inhaled and and uh, put it in an entirely new light. I had never thought that fentanyl exposure could be a, a, a hazmat-type incident. I'm just pining for the good old days when we abused horse tranquilizers, and now we're, we've moved up to <laughs> elephant tranquilizers.
2: Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a supersized me. Just think <laughs> about it right. from that perspective. That's it's all right. good. Will you can't these that?
0: days with your elephant tranquilizers.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, car fentanyl is just so potent. I think that yeah. that's what's catching everybody's attention. No one... I mean, it was totally designed as a large animal tranquilizer. And when they mean large animal, they're not talking about cows. I mean, they're talking about rhinos. They're talking about elephants. They're, you know, these, are, these are animals with hundreds of times of body mass. Right. And uh, you know, one milligram of, uh, of carfentanil is, is toxic. It's fatal. You know, one, one microgram is when you start getting human effects. That's really a small amount and so you, you think about how quickly if if you can if you can get that suspended air which you can it's it's yeah. light it's powder um, it doesn't take much and it gets right through the skin and so you know gloves gloves that only cover the hands doesn't cover the shoulders doesn't cover the arms mm-hmm. right. so yeah I think that that's that's what we're seeing right now are, are people just are not in you know, Chris and I were talking a little bit about sort of, um, you know, just sort of the, a bit of an laissez-faire attitude. It, you know, the fact of the fact is that probably in a lot of our situations, we're sort of overlooking the fact that there's probably stuff getting on us in the situations yeah. where we are, and it just doesn't affect us because the potency is so low. This, yeah. this this one will just kick you to to heaven and back if you're not careful, and and, and then the problem is you just don't know which is why I thought we should reframe it as a hazardous materials event. You know, that, that will wake people up. That'll make people a little more conscious yeah. about where they're operating. Right.
0: You know, we've, we've heard of the, old, the, the infamous wooden chest thing from, from uh, fentanyl administration where, you know, it induces respiratory arrest and, and you can't break it with, uh, with even large doses of naloxone. And we started to see that with some of these uh, opioid overdoses in the current epidemic is it's taking multiple doses of naloxone to get people out of this. I've never really considered that a, uh, a factor uh, in my treatment of patients because the typical fentanyl dose uh, uh, for analgesia is, you know, unlikely to produce those effects. But when you start talking about carfentanil, um, this is something that can induce respiratory arrest and, and cardiac arrest and, and can't be broken with, with the standard dose of Narcan. Um, it's pretty scary stuff.
2: Yeah, there's actually some information. I was trying to uh, research this a little bit, but, and I couldn't get to the original source, but there is a question of whether or not naloxone actually would work for carfentanil at all. Really? Carfentanil is such a binder. It has such preferential binding to the receptor sites uh, that control the respiratory center that uh-huh. um, it, it giving huge doses of Narcan, even if you had enough, may actually not make a difference. Yeah, that's really uh, so interesting. We yeah, would need
0: that's one of the, perhaps one of the longer acting uh, uh narcotic antagonists uh um, now bufene perhaps. I wonder, right if now trek
2: trexone. Uh, right. they're talking, you know, something that's an intentional, uh, you know, you may need something that's actually stronger than what we currently carry in the field.
1: And for the folks that are out there hmm. in the Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia area that are dealing with this now, maybe you can send us an email, uh, you know, send us an email at the show at ems1.com and talk to us about what, what you're using to treat this with. I mean, because it's unfortunate that you guys are, are having to deal with this at this point. But it's only a matter of time now before we start to you know, see this in the outskirts of uh, the United States. And we're going to be calling you guys to say, how, how do we treat these patients? So if anybody's out yeah. there who has some knowledge of it, Please send us an email and let us know and we 'll we'll make sure we read your email but art I want to go back to you because one of the things that you know it's, you, you talk about it in your article now is that with this powder and with the potency and if it 's in the air and or you know if they're, if it 's thrown at or whatever it is that could happen we 've really now got to start to think about this as a hazardous material scene, so you do kind of list some uh, safety tips for us, and and maybe you know take us through the the first couple, uh, uh, and we'll have some follow up questions on what are the things that we have to look for as EMS providers as we go into Sorry. these prote- uh, potentially hazardous scenes that need to keep ourselves protected. You know, because one of the things that you know, I, you know Kelly just talked about that Winnipeg story. I think we have a total disregard for how we're dealing with overdose patients right now. That this tunnel vision could really get us in a pickle. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, if, to build on on what we were just talking about in terms of the amount of naloxone, I mean, one of the points that I uh, did look up uh, and, and have seen this repeated for uh, EMS providers across the country is that there is a fear that there's just simply not enough naloxone being carried on units. Uh, to, mm-hmm. to to combat one of these, and what's going to happen is you're they get to the scene. It looks like a heroin overdose. It looks like a, a you know prescription opioid overdose, and and they are thinking, oh, we're, we'll just bag the patient and give them some Narcan, and then and then run out and realize that there's been no change, and the patient is actually worsening over time, and um and so the idea that uh you know can you carry more. Or understand that you may need to be calling for an additional unit or that you may need to actually transport the patient um, sooner than later if you're starting to think that uh, there's something more on board than just straight heroin. Um, Though, you know, I think that that's not something that crosses our minds routinely in these type of situations. We're just very used to one and done type of routines. But when it's one and not done, I think that's when people should start thinking about that sooner than later. Um and and that would especially hold true if, if one of us gets involved with that. I think that the folks in Winnipeg and I think the law enforcement uh, law enforcement officers that was referenced in the article, I don't think any of them had any idea what was happening to them until well past the initial phase. Um, there wasn't there wasn't a clear sense that they were being infected by uh, an event that was happening uh, right in front of them. So, that you know being aware of your surroundings i think is a really important you know adage to remember for any situation right not just you know so we talk about everyday situations always having somebody having a third eye open to mm-hmm. just sort of continuously scan the areas but i think it i think it's even more of a conscious effort on our part that if we're going into situations that are, um, you know, from the obvious ones where there's maybe more than one overdose, there's an overdose or a multitude of overdoses, or suddenly in the system, uh, we go from one heroin overdose a day to three, or one a week to five in a week. Those type of those type of um, um, hallmarks are, um, you know, real strong indications that something is happening behind the scenes, which makes us much more of an unintended target when we go into these situations and uh, and not realize there may be something else that's more seriously happening. So I think that being aware, just being conscious about what's happening, not just at the scene, but overall throughout the system, I think is a good um, sort of first start. Um, in terms of, in terms of uh, hazmat, I think that that's important. I think that, and again, I, I really didn't think about it until reading several stories and then seeing more stories starting to appear, going, you know, I think that it's just... Again, we're walking to situations we just don't know about. I think that reframing uh, a car fentanyl or just any other high-potency um, chemical uh, as a hazmat will better frame it for us. You know, we're, you know, as public safety providers and as first responders, we're all trained in, in, in f- you know, f- first responder awareness and in operations, and we all have introduction to hazmat. Uh, has whopper courses, and I think that we all, um, given a set scenario of you know something that, that's a funny-looking gas or there's a chemical on scene that's been pronounced by the dispatch center, um, that we'll think that right off the bat, but I don't think that we think about that in routine calls such as overdoses, and I think at this point, given um, how uh, drug labs, clandestine drug labs, and how shooting dens and other situations where there may be a lot of the chemicals sitting around um, may uh, make, should make us more conscious about what we're doing and that you, you may be if by treating the scene more as a hazmat and establishing, you know, hot, warm and cold zones, those are all um, I think good practices for us to at least consider and somehow integrate even into that single patient situation where, uh, suddenly, it, it seems to be much more than just a straightforward heroin overdose.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you, and I think that the things that you're bringing up here are, are really, really important. As we now start to think about, the, you know, I, I don't even know that in my in my normal day of of dealing with a you know a, a drug overdose, that I'm I'm thinking about these things. You know, you go off on some of the other points that you talk about. Of course, we need to make sure that this uh, is going to be a crime scene. Whether we're there, we're there with somebody, hopefully, we've got some force protection. But if not, we've got to be able now to say that this could be a, a crime scene that we need to get the, the authorities to. You know, the, like the Winnipeg story, if you, if you or another responder starts to feel ill, um, stop and take care of yourself immediately. I mean, you, you've now got to start to think about, you know, uh, and even in the stress of your day and maybe you already got a headache and, you know, you've got a little bit of uh, back, whatever it is, now you've got to kind of be cognizant of your own well-being, um, as you're now starting to treat somebody else. I mean, this is really getting to be scary uh, when we start to think about how do we need to protect ourselves and protect our crew?
2: Right. I, I agree. I, again, if you're talking um, sort of along this tangent, we're, to a great extent, this is very similar to active shooter incidents, which is sort of a, have become a, a very big deal and a very realistic, um, you know, potential for harm for for our community and for ourselves, and then, um, and then the the less sexy stuff, the the day to day stuff, the making sure that <clears throat> when you're when you're stepping out of the ambulance that you don't step funny and, and sprain your back, or when you're lifting that you're lifting with correct technique, and you know just all these little things. That sounds like your mother's nagging you, but um, but but by by following some basic good common sense principles about safety, um, it. It allows you to 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 go home at night. Uh, it allows you to grow old in the industry. It allows you to <clears throat> be able to retire in good health and and not have chronic backaches or pains or at least minimize them to a great extent. So, yes, I think this is this is one more thing that we're thinking about. But it is sort of that whole. Uh, this is a whole area where where I believe this is what makes public safety fairly unique as an industry. Um, you know, every industry has its hazards. And I think that public safety has the unpredictability factor that um, that we don't see in other industries that, uh, that we have to be masters at, honestly. You
1: know, you know, you bring up some great points here. And I think that one of the things that's really a challenge is, you know, and I've been saying this for years, and you've being a premier educator in our career field, we talk about The way that we're taught in EMS, we're taught very linearly. If A happens to B, if B happens to C kind of thing, and then when we get in the field, especially as an EMS leader, I expect these people now to be critical thinkers. And a lot of times, I'm having to bring that uh, those those skills to them, um, you know, as they come into the workforce. But one of the challenges now is you've got to be able to recognize that something is going on with you, and then have the critical thinking to say, "Wait a minute, I don't feel good. Could this be a potential scene that I'm being contaminated on?" And you know, I'll give you a quick story. If you're on those, me, my mom. She had cancer. She passed away and I went to visit her one day and, you know, I leaned in and gave her a kiss like I'm supposed to and all the things a great son does. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, you know, a few minutes later, I started to sweat and I started to get dizzy and that's when I had hair art. So my, I was sweating. I mean, it was just just, horrible. <laughs> well, after about 20 minutes, you know, I kind of run my hand through my hair and and I noticed that when I leaned into kisser, she had taken off her morphine patch and set it on her bed. And when I leaned into it, it actually affixed to my arm. And now I was getting, but I had no idea what was happening. Huh. And, yeah. uh, it, but it, it goes back to these situations where when we're in the home and we start to think or feel, I guess, weird or different, we've got to think that something else is up. And, and I don't know that we're doing that as providers.
2: Right, I think it's a well. Think about carbon monoxide, right? I think that uh, w- we see every winter, um, you know, families and and people being poisoned by carbon monoxide due to ineffective uh, heater uh, that are operating. But uh, like clockwork, every year we we see public safety providers getting sick as well, and and it takes time. It takes time before finally somebody's light bulb goes off to go, huh? Why is it that all three of us are nauseous now, not just the patient? Um, and, uh, again, it just sort of takes that, that clarity of mind to walk in, to go to, you know, first you're responding and just in the response mode to just do that little mental reminder in the back of your head, don't forget, check for scene safety issues. And what's the dispatch? Well, what could be the scene safety issues that I should consider before I walk in? I think that, um, we don't, we don't do that routinely. Uh, in talking with very experienced paramedics, and especially with paramedics who have gone, who have gone into situations where they really, um, you know, went south, like because of violence or because of some some sort of contaminant or some other issue that was going on, um, you know, most of us I think that if you get that one near miss or close call. And that kind of makes you rethink, like, oh, you know what? I think I can do better. Like, I think I can, I can, I can plan better on the way to the call. Right. And I think that that is a good habit to have. Um, so I, I think that just the just having that presence of mind going in to to having had thought about it, even if it was just for a couple of microseconds, right. might be enough to 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 wake you up and go, oh, okay. Could yeah, be this. I think you're absolutely right.
0: Art carfentanil is is a veterinary use drug. Um, it would seem to me that if if there's a, a risk of exposure, either from casual users or people synthesizing drugs for for distribution, um, would the DEA or local law enforcement have some idea of of uh, of um, carfentanil being stolen from veterinary supply places or is there are there clues that we can look for on scene anything like that that might uh aside from just you know increased wariness and in, in in overdose calls uh is there any other clues we can look for to, uh, that might uh you know heighten our level of alertness and, and make us be more careful
2: i think that based on what i've been reading so far Um, The fentanyl, the introduction of that isn't necessarily coming from um, U.S. made, uh, Ah. prescribed. Um, A fair amount of it is coming from overseas. Um, China has been identified as potentially one country where it's being manufactured along with fentanyl. um, And it's being manufactured relatively cheaply. I mean, I think that that's part of the issue is that um, these drugs are easy to make uh, if you know what you're doing and they're cheap. To make. Um, and so, and it's relatively easy to get high purity, uh, uh, you know, concentrations of these drugs as they come out. Um, if you actually, there's a couple places, there's actually a fair number of derivatives associated with mm-hmm. uh, fentanyl, and carfentanyl is actually not the strongest one. There's actually one more, which I'm not going to mention. Uh, but there is definitely others that are out there that are slightly, only slightly less powerful, and all of them can be relatively easily manufactured. From the viewpoint of a scene situation, I mean, I'm thinking back now to some of my more recent um, heroin overdose type calls. And, uh, and uh, I, I think that one of the things that is being reported is that people who are using heroin that's been cut with carfentanil or fentanyl are dropping as they push. Um, really? So unless okay. they're being cleaned up by a, by a partner, by a shooting partner, if they're not being cleaned up, uh, a lot of their paraphernalia is going to still remain out, uh, yeah. which means that there's going to be medication in liquid form or in solid mm-hmm. form out. And I think, that, I, I think that we didn't really think about that. I think that's always been the case. But yeah. I think now that's one of those things of let's not rub it or push it or yeah. cover it or do anything with it. Let's get away from it.
0: Yeah, now that, right. that needle still in the arm overdose uh, takes a little more ominous uh, tone.
2: Right. You're going to be a little yeah. slower in withdrawing the needle. You're going to make sure you don't inadvertently touch anything that looks suspicious. I mean, that's why I was mm-hmm. thinking a crime scene awareness.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: we know not to touch anything in a crime scene, right? And so, it's think of it that way. You know, don't touch anything. There's no reason for you to touch them. There was never a reason for you to touch it in the first place, but we just mm-hmm. did it probably out of convenience. And I think now that that's got to stop,
0: which which makes our, you know, our uh, our standard precautions like face mask and and eye protection that we should be wearing, but we don't often uh, even more crucial.
2: I agree. Yeah, I think that that's, again, one of those. It's a change, I think, you know, and I think fentanyl will come and go, uh, but there'll be something else. You know, there's always something else that has potential for harm. Um, And I think that, you know, so for old timers, perhaps like us, uh, we didn't grow up with with safety glasses, but, you know, current students do Mm -hmm. and and they're used to that. And I think that that's what we just like we got used to gloves. They're getting used to safety glasses. And I think we're just going to see those type of Mm -hmm. PPE devices coming into play on a regular basis. And I think it's for the better.
0: Well, that is, that is great stuff. Um, if you guys haven't read Art's uh, article on uh, EMS1, please do so. Five Tips to Prevent Carfentanil Exposure. Art, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great. And are
2: uh, welcome. Thank you. A,
0: thanks for coming on the show, man. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero, and our special guest this week, Art Sia, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and guys we'll catch y'all next week